The views and opinions expressed on this show are purely the views and opinions of the person who made them and do not necessarily reflect or agree with those of the show's commercial sponsors, its radio station affiliates, or Internet broadcast platforms. As the restriction on our God-given right to free speech manifests itself throughout the world, we are inspired by Jesus Christ's immortal words, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And we reserve the rights to all our words. Thank you, and now enjoy the show. Learn who rules over you simply find out that you are not allowed to criticise. You are listening to ACH. I'm Andy, your host. Today is Thursday, so I'm delighted to welcome back my good friend for his regular weekly show, Dr. Peter Hammond. Let's bring him up right now. Peter, are you with us? Yes, I am. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And uh, Peter's got a very interesting topic today. The title of the show is The Real Story of Abortion on Holocaust Memorial Day. So, Peter, where would you like to start us off with this topic today? Do you know that if you go to Worldometer, Worldometer database, they compile global statistics, so worldometers.info, and at the end of the 31st of December last year, a screen capture picture showed that the leading cause of death worldwide in 2021 was abortion with 42,640,000 deaths last year to abortion. That's more than any other cause by far. In fact, just, just by comparison, the amount of people who died last year, 12,900,000 died of communicable diseases, 8 million died of cancer, 4,9 million died of smoking, 2,4 million died from alcohol, 1.6 million died from HIV AIDS, 1.3 million died of vehicle road accidents, fatalities. Sadly, tragically, there was a million suicides, over a million suicides, and hundreds of thousands for malaria and so on. And, uh, you know, from all the um, big circus narrative made about COVID, you would have sworn that COVID was the biggest threat to life. But actually, by far, the leading cause of death in the world today is abortion. And the statistics are quite horrific. Uh, in my country, South Africa, we are marching to Parliament next week on the 2nd of uh, February, sorry, the, the 1st of February, the 1st of February, the Tuesday next week is the 25th anniversary of the legalization of abortion in South Africa. In 1997, the 1st of February, President Nelson Mandela signed abortion into law, legalizing child killing in South Africa for the first time in our country's history. And in the last 25 years, Two million babies, South African babies, have been killed officially, legally, through abortion, most of it with taxpayers' money. And that's one of the legacies of Nelson Mandela. But in America, they've had abortion on demand since 1973, since Roe v. Wade. 63 million Americans have been killed by abortion 
in the last 49 years. And uh, that's quite extraordinary because, do you know, uh, when I've had to go to America many times, I've been to America oh, somewhere in the 45, 50 times maybe over the years. Uh, first time I entered was 1988. And each time I had to sign a green card. And the green card basically was, uh, it was quite extraordinary. They would require me to sign that uh, I was not involved in the Holocaust and persecutions connected with Nazi Germany and her allies during the Second World War, in case I didn't know when that is, in brackets, it says 1939 to 1945. Um, I would each time point out to the customs official, uh, the immigration official, uh, that uh, I was born 1960. Do I actually have to sign this? Because I wasn't alive then. They said, yes, no, I, I need to sign this. I said, I noticed it doesn't ask me if I was involved in any of the genocides and holocaust in my lifetime, such as the Rwandan genocide uh, or the genocides going on in many parts of the world today. And I, I'd name, you know, from Vietnam, Laos and so on. I said, and it doesn't mention the holocaust going on in your country today. And they'd look at me in shock, say, you know, the abortion holocaust. And I'd give the statistic of how many babies had been killed by abortion up till then in America. I'd often get this official mumble to me, well, I'm just doing my job. And I'm doing my job too. I'm a missionary. I must get people to think about these things. And uh, it, it was quite extraordinary that um, uh, when I had to travel to America with my daughter, my firstborn daughter, who was only six at the time, I was a bit confused whether I stood in the uh, aliens section uh, with R2-D2 and, uh, and uh, ET and so on, uh, the aliens, uh, or with the American citizens, because my daughter... Andrea had an American passport because her mother, although her mother was born in Europe and raised in Austria, but because she had American parents, she had an American passport. And so my daughter actually had an American passport, and I was confused which line to stand in. He said, oh, well, you could have actually stood in the American queue because your daughter's got an American passport. So I said, you know, I filled out this green card, uh, which says I wasn't involved in the genocides of 1939 to 1945, which was quite a while before I was born, you know, so I was born in 1916. Uh, you know, he's sort of mumbling along. I said, must I fill in one of these forms for my daughter? He said, no. So, oh, why not? No, she's an American citizen. I'm like, oh, <laughs> so American citizens don't need to um, uh, certify that they weren't involved in a one particular genocide narrative. But, uh, of course, anyone can be involved in the Cambodian genocide uh, Ethiopian genocides, the Holocaust in Rwanda, you know, or the abortion Holocaust. And I think it is deeply disturbing that people today are mostly ignorant about one of the greatest threats to life and liberty in the world today. And where it fits into Agenda 21 and the globalist agenda, because we know that the globalists have been using wars and economic depressions and recessions and population control to undermine Western civilization and bring about their new world disorder. And you can see through aggressive population control tactics, promoting birth control, sterilizations, abortion, massive propaganda of overpopulation. The globalists have dramatically brought down the population of Europeans and Americans. And by betraying stable governments in Africa, Asia, South America, bringing about economic collapse, vast movement of refugee populations have been stimulated into Europe, into North America and South Africa. And They've been dramatically decreasing the populations of those countries traditionally Christian, 
and exploding a population of those who are pagan and anti-Christian with the evident goal of a dramatic change in demographics and the death of Christian civilization. And we should recognize that this is a deliberate policy of the new world disorder of the powers that should not be, as you say, and by promoting massive higher taxation and feminism, they have forced vast amounts of women out of the home into the workplace, which has dramatically brought down the birth rate. Obviously, women who are working full-time in the workplace to pay for the higher taxes are not able to be raising children. And so we have seen in the past, if you just look back in the time of the Anglo-Boer War, 1900, the average Boer woman and uh, woman was having 12 to 14 children. In fact, uh, Mrs. Kruger, President Paul Kruger's wife, had 17 children. And that's why the concentration camps of the British forces under Kissinger, uh, uh, <laughs> Kissinger, under um, General uh, Field Marshal, it's not Kissinger, the the one who was on the World War One um, posters saying your country needs you, that was um, Kitchener. Goodness, sorry. Lord Kitchener. Correct. Just went blank. Lord Kitchener. So Lord Kitchener's concentration camps wiping out the women and children of the Boers. Over 33,000 Boer women and children died in the concentration camps, which was six to seven times more than the number of men who died in action during the Anglo-Boer War. They targeted the women and children, putting them on starvation rations and hideous camps where even soap was considered a luxury, so they weren't even allowed soap and they were dying of typhus and starvation in these camps. Well, in these concentration camps, the death of so many women and children meant that for the rest of the century, the Boers have been a minority in their own country, whereas whites in South Africa would be the majority, the largest tribe, much more than the Zulus and the Khoza combined. If it hadn't been for the death of so many women at such a key age uh, in, in their youth in, in those camps. So we know how population control can work. But by increasing taxation, and by promoting feminism, and by pushing women into the workplace. And part of that was having conscription in the First World War, which put all the men into the front lines and forced women to go into the factories and also into the uh, farms in order to be able to uh, meet the demands of producing enough bombs and missiles of various sorts all the way through. Uh, that they, uh, In many cases, the Rothschilds own um, Coventry munitions factories where they were producing millions of shells and billions of rounds of ammunition. And so the women were doing a lot of that. Who was raising the children? Well, more than that, uh, birth rate started to decrease dramatically from then. So while your great-grandmother might have had 12 children and your grandmother may have had five or six children, uh, your mother might have had two or three. And uh, it's down to these days, um, they have abortions and they adopt a dog or uh, some illegal immigrant. And you can see how the demographics are dramatically decreasing. So I was a delegate at the Lausanne 3 conference or the uh, World Missions Conference 2010 in Cape Town. And that was the centenary of the first World Missions Conference in 1910 in Edinburgh. In 1910, the very first World Missions Conference was held in Edinburgh and they found 
that in, in the whole analysis there, Europeans made up about 32% of the world's population in 1910. Interesting, by 2010, Europeans made up 9% of the world's population. Amazing what genocidal wars like the First and Second World War and uh, all the other uh, things could do to bring down a population. But the biggest and most dramatic bring down a population was higher taxation, pushing women out of the home, into the workplace, and then promoting abortion sterilizations. But not only that, pornography, LGBTQ, transgenderism, all these have been bringing down marriages and fertility, and we've got also a tremendous amount of sterility. Many, many young couples that my wife and I know have had trouble having children of their own and have been in long queues to try and get uh, children to adopt. And it's, that's kind of strange. Now, my wife and I never had any trouble having children. We, we had four children and we've got three grandsons. But uh, uh, many of our friends have got tremendous problems. There's been an exponential increase in sterility uh, in, amongst uh, Western uh, men and women. And one can blame a whole lot of things to it, but certainly Big Pharma has had a lot to do with bringing down the fertility rates of people in Europe and America. But we've seen an explosion of births in the third world. So, well, you just take the Muslim world where uh, the average man can have uh, four wives legally in, in a Muslim setting. And they, the average Muslim woman in Europe is having six to seven children. And the average Western woman is having 1.1 children in America, uh, in Europe. That's the average. Well, it's not just a matter of mathematics. It's just demographic reality. This is the way to demographic suicide. And as goes the family, so goes the nation. And we are seeing a deliberate attempt to abolish the family. And you will recall that we dealt with this just a short while ago on the 1666 Sabbatee Zevi and the Sabbatean roots of the New World Disorder. And one of the goals of the Sabbatean Luciferian type religion is the abolition of the family. And of course, the abolition of nation or two, which is also what the Marxist agenda is to abolish the family, to abolish nations, uh, to have a globalist totalitarian agenda. Well, abortion is a key part of it. Officially, 55 million people are aborted every year worldwide. Every day that comes out to 150,685 are aborted every day. Every hour, 6,278 babies are aborted. Every minute, 105 babies are aborted worldwide. This is the greatest Holocaust, this is the greatest genocide. Babies are being cut up in wombs. They're being sucked out by powerful suction machines. They're being poisoned with salination. Uh, they are even being live birthed, such as in the case of Gosnell with this partial birth abortion infanticide where the baby is born, but as the head comes out, they snip with scissors the spinal cord and kill the baby while the baby's partially in the womb. And somehow this is considered legal in some countries. And uh, you're seeing every way of bringing down natural birth. Now, why is this being done? Well, abortion is the modern equivalent of child sacrifice. In Exodus 1, we read how Pharaoh issued a decree to murder the newborn Hebrew boys in Egypt. And we also read in Matthew 2 how King Herod sought to kill all the babies in Bethlehem in order to snuff out, if possible, the Messiah. And abortionists today are attempting to butcher babies just as Pharaoh and King Herod of the past did. You know, hark the Herod 
soldiers come and uh, all the menace of the manger, it would seem, many hate, it would seem, life. And, and the Bible says those who hate God love death. We're in a situation now where we can see Agenda 21 being advanced. Now, Agenda 21, meaning uh, 21 referring to the 21st century, was first introduced in 1992 at the United Nations Earth Summit in Rio de Janeiro. President George H. Bush, leaders from 177 nations, signed on to this UN action plan that is meant to assist governments at the local, national, and international level to implement what they called sustainable development. And that's a very nice word for genocide. But uh, Rio uh, then had another, Rio 20 happened in 2012. And 2012, the United Nations Conference on Sustainable Development reaffirmed the commitment to Agenda 21. And then they produced a document called The Future We Want. 180 national leaders participated. And then at a Sustainable Development Summit in 2015, Agenda 2030 was adopted, known as Sustainable Development Goals, which is aiming to bring about, uh, in fact, we could say mass depopulation. They have put as the goal under Agenda 21 that the world is overpopulated. We need to bring the world's population, which at this moment is 7.9 billion people. We will approach 8 billion before the end of this year. Uh, And they're wanting to reduce it to 500 million. So that means more than 7.4 billion people are surplus and unnecessary and can easily be replaced by AI, artificial intelligence, and they need to get rid of them because of what they call sustainable development. And so what we are seeing in the goal of the New World Order, as published by the Agenda 21 and these following up Agenda 2030s and so on, is that you are going to have to get rid of about 90-something percent of the world's population. And this depopulation agenda is accelerating. And in many ways, you can't understand the COVID-19 vaccination spree uh, outside of understanding where it fits into Agenda 21. And also, we don't really understand what's going on unless we understand the Sabbatean roots of the New World Disorder and the Marxist and Luciferian roots, which overlap with all of this. So what they are doing, if you can see the whole uh, battle going on here, is promoting LGBTQ, transgenderism, anything but the family. Remember, one of the goals is abolish the family. As goes the family, so goes the nation. So feminism, um, undermine male leadership, um, get women into the workplace, anything except producing the next generation. We don't want mothers being fertile and having lots of babies, and you certainly don't want straight people, a man and a woman, marrying and having children. I mean, you know, that's exactly the opposite of what they want. That's been against the Sabbatean and the Marxist agenda. They want to have a bunch of classless world society, world communism, and to get rid of families. Families are, in fact, the stabilizing building block of society. And uh, when I think that I was born into a normal family, what was normal then, uh, a mother who nurtured, a father who worked and protected and provided uh, in a society that was safe and with law and order, uh, as we experienced in Rhodesia, uh, I had no idea how uh, endangered and threatened uh, this would be and how targeted a family would be in our lifetime. But what we are seeing is the normalization of pedophilia, mainstream sexual orientation, 
pedophiles rebranding themselves as minor attracted persons, the normalization of perversion, and massive trend against masculinity. In fact, a war against males, a war against men, a war against fathers in particular, and uh, continually speaking about toxic masculinity and all the things that have actually built society up to be civilized, safe, and advanced, uh, they are against. And of course, there's been systematic indoctrination through the state schooling gulags, which again, is another agenda of Marxism that the state must control the schools, train the teachers, produce the textbooks, determine the curriculum. And if we think our schools are failing, then we misunderstand. The goals of state schools is not to educate the next generation, it's to indoctrinate them and dumb them down. In that sense, they've succeeded according to the Sabbatan agenda, the Agenda 21. They're not succeeding according to what we think is education, but we must bear in mind they're coming from a completely different, Luciferian idea. And so uh, what we are seeing is uh, critical race theory, um, poisoned food and water, toxic um, kinds of medicines, big pharma, and huge amounts of undermining of the health of the people. I don't think we've ever had more pharmaceuticals or more drugs in the world, and we've never had a less healthy society. And what's going on in the world today is a huge amount of uh, eugenicist programs promoting mass depopulation, and that's where the vaccinations fit in. We're seeing brainwashing people uh, through the what's meant to be the information services, but it's actually more like disinformation. We've got news media that disinforms. Uh, we have got education institutions that don't educate, but which indoctrinate. Uh, we've got medical fraternities that are not actually providing or improving health. They're actually undermining your health. And it's going into a geoengineering to the point where we will have transhumanism. This is the goal through many of these nanotechnologies being incorporated into vaccines, changing DNAs. They're talking openly about the need to, to move into transhumanism, where, where people are not fully human, but they can be controlled. And there's a concerted effort deliberately dumbing down the population, and there's multifaceted exposures, brain-damaging water fluoridization, vaccines, genetically modified foods, um, 5G cell towers fits into this as well. Uh, all kinds of things are attacking us from different levels, and we need to understand where all this comes from. Uh, the, it's, of course, part of the agenda, the Sabbatean agenda, the Marxist agenda, the Illuminati fits into this as well. And the conclusion is there's a concerted effort to ensure the extermination of human life as we know it. And, but not just any human life, it's especially the white Christian populations of Europe uh, in particular that are being targeted here. And so there's a deliberate genocide of the family is a deliberate breaking down of Christian civilization. And the Christophobia, the hostility to Christianity, the hostility to family, the hostility to traditional straight male, female, and particularly the male as a father, as the provider, as the protector, is a lot of war waged against that. And you can see it in the entertainment industry too. So when we look at abortion as the leading cause of death in the world today, and when we understand that this is like the child sacrifice that was done in the days of Moloch worship, uh, Astro worship, and those who worship Kronos, we are living in a situation where there is genuine, serious, 
genocide, an attempt to wipe out all white people in particular, and there's whole websites dedicated to it. These people are openly expressing the need to get rid of all white people. There are people, famous people, such as the daughters of Barack Hussein Obama, who said they look forward to the day when there are no white people on earth. And uh, there's many who've said openly, uh, you've played some of the uh, audios of, of these people who've said that uh, we must get rid of all whites. Uh, we must, uh, and there's the idea of either killing them or um, uh, contaminating them, uh, making them uh, in uh, every way not any more distinguishable. They speak about in the, our country, We've got people like Julius Malema, a white racist, anti-white racist, who says we must cut the throat of whiteness. And uh, he leads his people singing, kill, 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 kill the farmer, kill the boer. And, uh, you know, pa, pa, kill the boer, kill the farmer, pa, pa, pa. And they're all chanting this and stomping their feet in, in, a, in a war dance, whipping themselves up into a frenzy. And this is somebody who's a leader of a political party in parliament. Uh, who's actually somehow protected by law to say this. And it's not considered hate speech, apparently, even though thousands of white farmers have been tortured to death in the most hideous ways uh, by these people. But if you think that's bad, the greatest tortures going on in the world today are to babies through abortion. And if you haven't seen the film The Silent Screen, if you believe that babies don't feel any pain, uh, in the womb when they're being dismembered. Uh, you've just got to see films like The Sound Screen. Uh, there was a film that came out recently, Roe v. Wade, where Bernard Nathanson is the central character. He's He was one of the central figures in the promotion of the legalization of abortion in America. Uh, he was in charge of the National Alliance for Abortion Rights in America. And as an, as an abortion provider, he was responsible for deaths of tens of thousands of babies in his clinics that he ran for aborting babies. And Bernard Nathanson later produced the film The Silent Scream when he came to become convicted that what he was doing was murdering babies. And he, he documented in The Silent Scream um, what ultrasound reveals about what babies go through. And you can literally see the, the baby screaming um, as they're being injected with the saline injections and um, dismembered in the womb. Well, uh, there's a lot of scientific evidence. Life begins at conception. Abortion is murder. The science is clear. At three weeks after conception, the baby has a lifelong heartbeat. At six weeks after conception, the baby's brainwave can be measured. We all know that the absence of a heartbeat is an indication of death. So the presence of a heartbeat should be a confirmation of life. We know that the absence of a brainwave is a confirmation of death. Surely the presence of a brainwave should be a confirmation of life. And it's a matter of logic. It's a matter of, of love. It's a matter of life and death. And we should be speaking up for those who can speak for themselves. We should be defending the rights of those who are helpless. We should be risking those being led away to death. It's important to make a stand against this abortion holocaust right now. We have babies around the world being tossed into incinerators in hospitals all over the world. I've been outside these abortion clinics where there are bring out the babies in these uh, red big plastic bags to be taken to the incinerators as written on the side of the big truck collector, medical waste coming out of Mary Stopes abortaries 
And I might say, we did mention just a while ago when we were noting the death of Archbishop Desmond Tutu, that top church leaders like Archbishop Desmond Tutu have seen no problem with openly promoting Agenda 21, including the work of Mary Stokes. So even the year after he had retired from public life, Desmond Tutu put on his bishop's regalia, posed for a picture, and his picture and his endorsement on pull-up banners in the Mary Stokes clinics in South Africa, thanking Mary Stokes for empowering women and for empowering them with choice and for the invaluable work that they do for women. Uh, Mary Stokes clinics kill more babies worldwide than any other, even more than Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood is only the number two killer of babies worldwide. Mary Stopes is the number one killer of babies worldwide. And uh, people in America may not know who Mary Stopes is. Well, Mary Stopes was to Great Britain what uh, Margaret Sanger was to the United States, a eugenicist heavily promoting abortion. And we have got even bishops and archbishops promoting the killing of babies. And shame on them. Uh, the Bible has many warnings against one uh, being involved in this kind of industry. And uh, I should, uh, just before handing back to you, give you um, a rundown on a conversation I had with an abortionist. It was a human rights day in South Africa, so I took part in an African Christian Action pro-life protest outside an abortionist's home in a nearby suburb. And when this doctor drove up in a Swedish Volvo, she demanded, what are you doing outside my home? Are you the people who've been distributing these leaflets? And she waved one of these, you can stop abortion leaflets. Well, I want you to stop. You're embarrassing me and my neighbor. I don't want my neighbors to do what I do for a living. So I said, if what you're doing is right, why would you be embarrassed about your neighbors knowing what you're doing? And she said, because it's controversial. Not everyone approves of abortion. You are embarrassing me. So I respond, you are killing babies. And she smiled and said, no, I don't kill babies. The mothers do. I responded, well, the mothers do pay you to kill their babies, but you're the one who actually does the procedure, don't you? But it's their choice, she said. They signed the life of their baby way. I'm just providing a service. So I said, you're like a hitman then who takes money to kill people? And this she smiled and said, you could describe it like that. I'm providing a service. It's a mother's choice. So I said, you're concerned about what your neighbors are thinking today. But you should be more concerned about what almighty God will say to you on the day of judgment. You do believe in God, don't you? And she looked sober for a moment and said, yes, I believe in God. But then she denied that she is a Christian. So I said to her, you have an appointment. It is appointed unto man once to die, but after that to face judgment. One day you will have to stand before almighty God and give an account of everything you've done. Well, maybe she shrugged, but... You're speaking to the wrong person. You need to be involved in sex education schools. I have to do abortions for 12-year-olds. You don't believe how many young girls come to me for help. It's a dirty job, but somebody has to do it. There's a tremendous demand for what I'm doing, and very few are willing to do it. So I said, well, of course, we do go to schools, and groups like True Love Waits are involved in vigorous sex education schools. We do believe that education is the highest priority. I've worked in a fire brigade in the army, I said. They often have dirty jobs, but firemen and soldiers can say that we are saving lives. Abortionists cannot say that. You're not saving lives. You're actually ending lives. And at this point, uh, I said, the fact still remains, life begins at conception, abortion is murder. She said, that's your opinion. 
I said, no, that's scientific fact. Surely you as a doctor know that life begins at conception. That's not the point, she said. But yes, I said, that is exactly the point. Make no mistake, the day will come when future generations will look back on abortion in our time the same way they look back on the slave trade in the Holocaust today. Maybe, she says, but we won't be around then, so it won't matter to us. Don't you believe in the immortality of the soul, I asked? It will most certainly matter to you in eternity. There's a God in heaven. There's a day of judgment. Heaven and hell are real. It will affect you long after you've died and throughout all eternity. Yes. Now, it's remarkable that this abortionist spoke so freely about the mother and the baby. Normally, abortionists try to dehumanize the victims by speaking of the patient, the product of conception, the fetus, or performing a TOP, termination of pregnancy, or removing the POC product of conception. But this abortionist had no problem consistently referring to the mothers who sign their baby's life away. At no time did she question the facts that life begins at conception, that abortion is the killing of an innocent life. Her justification was merely, it's legal, and she's doing what the mothers are asking and paying her to do. So, Andrew, back to you. Thank you, Peter. Yes, that's... uh fascinating information and that conversation that you just ran us through was um, very informative uh, I've made a couple of notes because you talked about the 500 million uh, that they want to get to world population with um, Agenda 21 uh, before we get into that the Deagle.com figures that conveniently disappeared just over a year ago when they were up since 2013 I first wrote an article on them in 2015 and the last ones were a drop of, um, I think it was, uh, the biggest drop was 78% and that was in the UK. But it's by 2025, not necessarily in 2025, so it could happen mm. earlier. And funnily enough, in South Africa, I forget what the percentage drop was, but it was just over 4 million, which I believe is the white population uh, of South Africa around that level. So I always found that interesting. But... The reason I bring that up is to lead into what you said about the 500 million. Now, many people, when they hear, you know, reduce the world population to 500 million, they'll think about the Georgia Guidestone. Hmm. And so what I just did is I uh, went into webcrawler.com, which is my preferred search engine, and I just typed in Georgia Guidestones, and surprisingly at the top, uh, I got a result from geoengineeringwatch.org, which is Dane Wigginton's website, and Dane Wigginton specialises in what he says, geoengineering, talks about chemtrails, contrails, all these different things, so I was surprised he had an article on it, but um, I scrolled down, I'll give you what it says on the Georgia Guidestones at the top, maintain humanity under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature so again like i said with the deagle figures it's by 2025 and here it's under 500 million so it could be half that amount it's going to be whatever mm. these elites think that they need to sustain them not to sustain us peter back to you for your comments yes this is extremely serious. And bear in mind that we're being distracted. I mean, most of what is thrown at us is either disinformation, distraction uh, from the real issues. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And continually, when we, and I trust that most of our listeners don't waste their time with the uh, lamestream, mainstream, indoctrination gulag. But uh, if anyone is paying attention to what the mainstream media is saying, 
the important thing to always think is, what are they distracting me from? Because whenever they've got a major news cycle and they're pushing some agenda or narrative, we should look around and think, what is the real news that they're trying to distract me from? Because so often, you just take right now, we've got in January quite a lot of uh, attempt to uh, draw a person's attention to, we've got to remember the Holocaust, never again. What do you mean never again? They're doing Holocaust right now. And uh, interestingly, I was in Poland at Krakow uh, back in 1990, uh, when they were having this big 40, uh, what was it, uh, 45 years anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz and never again and all this sort of thing. Well, I was staying with uh, a Bible college principal um, in Poland, and uh, he said to me, what a lot of lies. He said, the Soviets never liberated Auschwitz. I said, what do you mean? He says, far more Christians died in Auschwitz than Jews. And I said, uh, I don't understand. What are you saying? He said, no, we, we lived we lived in Krakow. We were right there. We traveled past it regularly. He said, I was, I was a young boy at the time. But I can tell you, he says, that while the Germans ran Auschwitz for about four years, the Soviets ran Auschwitz for 10 years. I said, uh, what are you saying? He says, oh, they never liberated Auschwitz. They continued to use it from 1945 all the way through to 1954. And uh, that that was uh, literally, they had nine and a half years of Auschwitz being run as a concentration camp for uh, enemies of the communist states of the Soviets who were being thrown there, mostly Christians. And he said, uh, I can guarantee you vastly more Christians died in Auschwitz than Jews. And uh, he he pointed out the fact that Auschwitz was a work, a labor camp right next to the big IG Farben factories. And uh, in fact, the pharmaceutical factory next to it is quite interesting because most pictures leave that out. You know, what was right next to it, that's not in the middle of nowhere, but it was a work camp right next to a major factory, which was, included chemicals and big farm and all the rest of it, uh, which was partly owned by the Americans, by the way. But anyway, uh, be that as it may, uh, he then went into describing the persecution of Christians in Poland uh, by the real hardcore Marxist thugs, many of whom, as he pointed out, were synagogue of Satan characters who hated Christians and had a vendetta against Christians. Well, I thought, you know, that's intriguing um, because back in uh, in Washington, D.C., General Ben Parton, the famous General Ben Parton, who was this top scientist who developed everything from Puff the Magic Dragon to cruise missiles, button batteries, cluster bombs, uh, laser-guided missiles. Uh, he's uh, a real um, a genius and a scientist, inventor, and he's the one who also exposed the impossibility of the narrative about the Oklahoma City bombing 1995. He went there and, and demonstrated how there's no way that uh, any fertilizer bomb or any bomb from that distance in a truck could have brought down reinforced pillars and uh, showed the structural uh, damage was consistent with um, uh, C4 being placed on the actual pillars uh, to have brought it down like that because some pillars closer to the truck were untouched and other pillars further away from the truck where the bomb was meant to be in the origin um, disintegrated, which is, of course, impossible through the air. You've got to have contact to take out reinforced pillars. But uh, this scientist, uh, General Ben Parton, he said to me, Peter, I'd like to take you to the Holocaust Museum downtown Washington, D.C. And uh, I was 
not particularly interested, but he said, no, no, I've got a reason to take you there. You must come. So this was just after the Rwandan Holocaust. I just produced the book Holocaust in Rwanda, and I had the pictures of churches filled with bodies and the big pits where Christians were thrown, sometimes alive, into these burning pits in Rwanda. And uh, interestingly, when I was trying to launch the book uh, in Washington, D.C., at one of the press meetings, I had some journalists very angry at me, saying, how dare you use the word Holocaust for what happened in Rwanda? I said, well, they were, they were throwing Christians by the thousands onto burning pits. Uh, if that's not a Holocaust, what is? And there was 800,000 Christians killed in Rwanda in six weeks. And uh, this represented a massive population. This is something like two-thirds of all the Tutsi Christians in Rwanda were killed uh, in a space of six weeks there. How can this not be a Holocaust? And this, this uh, journalist screamed at me that I'm a racist and an anti-Semite and how dare. And I'm talking about black Christians who've been slaughtered by Marxist animists who had a hideous agenda. And what on earth is racist about speaking up for black victims of such a hideous atrocity as what happened in Rwanda. But quite aside from that, that's at the same time that this book was coming out and General Parton wanted to take me to this new Holocaust Museum, which US taxpayers had forked out a huge amount of millions uh, to help build. And so I asked to see the director of the museum and I presented him with my book, Holocaust in Rwanda, and a, a disc which had on it photographs in high resolution of um, the burned out churches and bombed out areas and the massive graves. And uh, in one picture, there's thousands of skulls outside this church and oh, you know, hideous things that I've taken personally. So I handed this to him and he looked totally confused and asked why I was giving this to him. He said, well, this is the Holocaust Museum. I thought you would like some of these for some of your exhibits. And he says, we're not interested in what happened in Rwanda. I said, but that's a Holocaust that just happened. At this point, he ordered me removed from the, uh, and general partner <laughs> removed from the museum. He's really angry and irate. I don't know why we were being polite and objective and factual and giving him material that could have enhanced his museum and made it more current and up to date. And on the way out, unfortunately, we were being um, uh, sort of hustled out by security people holding his shoulders, or I would have taken a picture of it. But on one of the walls, we saw this massive sign. And we talk about dominating the whole wall. Anti-Semitism began with the birth of Jesus Christ. That's in a Holocaust Museum in Washington, D.C. I was staggered. Now, I'd been in the uh, London, uh, since then, in the Imperial War Museum in London, where I saw at a Holocaust wing uh, to the Imperial War Museum the statement that anti-Semitism began with Martin Luther and the Reformation which is also uh, slanderous. Uh, but what a blasphemous piece of nonsense to blame Jesus Christ for the birth of anti-Semitism. Uh, but that's what I saw in the Holocaust Museum. And I could see they had no concern for people, Christians, black people, black Christians in Africa being killed. And I don't think they had a care about any of the other victims. They certainly didn't care about the Russians. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn pointed out, 66 million Christians killed in Russia by the Bolsheviks, by the Communist Party and Soviet Union, chewed up as the Black Book of Communism documented, as the Death by Government uh, book uh, documented, we are seeing time and again uh, that real, major, genuine atrocities, documented ones, such as the genocide of the Boers, 
which was well documented by Stephen Mitford Goodson in his book, Genocide of the Boys, which the Rothschilds sponsored, talking about the Anglo-Boer War, uh, which was uh, unleashed upon the farmers of the Transvaal and Free State in 1899-1902 in the concentration camps, which resulted in wiping out the vast majority of women and children. They destroyed all 30,000 farms in the Transvaal and Free State, dynamite the wells, poisoned the wells, blew up the homes, took the women and children, put them in concentration camps where a quarter died every year. That means in two years, half had died. And if they carried on for four years, none of them would have been alive. That's how bad it was. And the goal was, as the Rothschild said, we want this richest piece of real estate on earth uh, for for us. We must control it because that's where the gold and the diamonds were. And the Boers had the misfortune of having their farms over this mineral uh, deposit rich area. And that was behind the Anglo-Boer War and the deliberate attempt to genocide the Boers, which made us whites in South Africa the minority in our own country, which wouldn't have been so without that. So here, there's so many times when the 20th century we've seen genocide, like of the Armenian Christians in the Turkish Empire. And we discussed the other day uh, the Sabbatean roots of even that. But it's extraordinary how genocides of Christians are ignored. And the genocide of babies through abortion is ignored, and the open call for white genocide today is ignored. And yet every January, we are treated to Memorial Days, Holocaust Memorial Days, when they say never again. What do you mean never again? <laughs> At this very time, the very people promoting this seem to be happily promoting genocides of white Christians, genocides of Europe and America, genocides of South Africa, genocides of Boers and Christians, and are absolutely it would seem disinterested in the genocide of Christians in countries like Rwanda or Sudan and Nuba Mountains or in Blue Nile or in Darfur. I mean, none of these things matter to them because they've got an agenda and it doesn't matter how fictionalized it is. It doesn't matter how exaggerated it is. That's the only agenda you must know and any others considered a threat. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you so much, Peter. And thank you for bringing up Stephen Mitford Goodson's book, genocide of the Boers. when i was working for the barnes review that was the featured article of one of their issues it was the front cover i interviewed peter it was a fascinating interview and the article as well was fascinating because there was bits in it where the soldiers from britain and what have you were sent hampers and the hampers were from the Rothschild family, and it had the Rothschild family's name on them. So they're supposed to be fighting for Britain, but all the sort of hampers they were being sent were being paid for by the Rothschild family, so it's pretty obvious who they were fighting for. Uh, are you familiar with that? I imagine that's in the book, Peter. Yes, indeed. At Christmas 1901, 480,000 hampers, and these were generous hampers. I mean, in these hampers, they had everything from... Christmas puddings, cakes, uh, cigars, cigarettes, playing cards, sweets, all sorts of things, you know, tins of food, it was, you know, condensed milk. It's a very generous uh, hampers, 480,000 to every British and Commonwealth soldier from, sorry, Empire soldier from everywhere from New Zealand, Canada, uh, Australia, wherever they came from. They were given this with a personal card signed by the three main Rothschilds at that time, thanking them for their service. Now, you know, I was in the army and I was on the border and I fought against communists. If I had received some hamper or something from Harry Oppenheim or a Rockefeller Rothschild, thank you for, I would have been very conservative. 
I'm not here for you. I thought I was fighting for my country and to defend uh, us against communism. I mean, that's uh, that's where we were. Uh, we didn't receive any hampers from them, I might say. But just imagine if we had. And here, the British, Canadian, Australian, New Zealand soldiers received hampers for the Rothschilds of the personal card, thanking them for their service in Christmas 1901. Uh, if that's not a clear case of how banksters can actually turn national armies into their mercenary forces. And it reminds one of, of the um, opium war in China, where the Rothschilds were smuggling opium into China. And then the Chinese, for good reason, decided to wage war against them to stop this. And the Royal Navy was somehow tricked and cajoled into being the mercenaries for the Rothschilds to enable them to continue their drug smuggling into China. It's a disgraceful episode, 1830s, um, into uh, China. Uh, but uh, in the same way as the Royal Navy was abused for helping the Rothschild smuggling operation, drug smuggling operation to China in the 1830s, so in 1899-1902, the Empire's soldiers were mobilized on behalf of the Rothschilds to give them control of the gold and diamonds, which enriched their empire. I don't think it did anything for either the British people or the Boer people, that's for sure. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. And a sort of question, slightly off topic, but uh, you're the perfect person to ask it. Uh, I've heard for, from uh, many sources over the years that um, diamonds aren't actually rare, but they're made artificially scarce, so they're drip-fed out. Uh, and they're not one of the rarest stones. Things like a sapphire or a ruby are far rarer, but because of their big promotion, you know, the diamonds are a girl's best friend, all that sort of stuff, what they've been doing over the years is literally just... Uh, lending them out slowly, as I said, in order to keep the price high. Is that accurate or not, in your opinion? No, that, that's totally true. So, for example, in the Kimberley mines, millions of carats of diamonds were um, uh, unearthed. And uh, it was Cecil John Rhodes who immediately noticed the seriousness of this, that, in fact, diamonds are going to become absolutely worthless because the plethora of them here. And uh, that's why he secured a loan, and this is not a conspiracy theory, you can go up, and I've got the picture of it, <laughs> um, you can go up to the Anglo-American um, De Beers Museum in Kimberley by the big hole, uh, where they've actually got on display the largest check written to that date. It's a one million pound check written in uh, 1869, I think it is, uh, to Cecil John Rhodes signed by... Uh, Lord Nathan Rothschild. So you've got a Rothschild check for a million pounds. A million pounds in the 1860s is a phenomenal amount. I mean, it's a lot of money now, but it's astronomically more then. And it's on display. This isn't a theory. It's on display in their museum, Anglo-American's own museum, um, showing this. So here, out of the goodness of his heart, with doubtless no ulterior motives, uh, Rothschilds gave a loan of a million to Cecil Rhodes so that he could buy up the different plots so that he could centralize control of the diamond so that they can limit its um, uh, availability to push out the price artificially up. Now, I've been in Southwest Africa and Namibia where there are entire sections, I mean huge areas, areas bigger than whole states, bigger than the British Isles, that you're not nobody's allowed to go to. It's, it's a, a restricted area, totally blanked off, nobody allowed in there. And it's, it's because diamonds are literally lying on the ground all over the place. And uh, that belongs to De Beers. So in Botswana, Southwest Africa, Namibia, and South Africa, the worst crime you can commit is illegal diamond buying, or IDB. And they've even got a special IDB police 
uh, wing that targets us. Now, if you find a diamond on your farm, or if you're scuba diving off the coast, you find a diamond, or if you happen to be swimming in the Orange River and you find a diamond, that diamond belongs to De Beers. And it's one of the worst crimes. You will get longer in prison than for tax evasion or murder uh, in, in our country. So it's quite clear who pulls the strings in countries like Namibia, South Africa, and Botswana, because by rights, De Beers owns every uncut diamond in the country, um, even if it's on your land and you found it. So that gives you an idea of what you're dealing with. There's a lot of diamonds, but by limiting its availability, they make the price artificially higher. It's it's quite a clever operation uh, if you uh, think about how they've managed to do that, because literally the areas in uh, Southwest Africa, Namibia, where you can walk and there's diamonds lying all over the ground. Back to you, Andrew. Thank you, Peter. Well, that brings us to the end of the program. But before we go, can you please let the audience know where they can find your work and how they can contact you? Yes, certainly. Of course, if anyone's in the area and would like to join us in a march department on Tuesday, the 1st of February, be so welcome. Uh, they can contact me personally through peter at frontline.org.za. Peter at frontline.org.za is my personal email. Our website, www frontlinemissionsa.org, frontlinemissionsa.org. And as far as the pro-life side goes, we've got a lot of our pro-life articles and links and events on christianaction.org.za. So christianaction.org.za for all of the pro-life details, videos, events, PowerPoints, audios. And um, it would be great if we can cooperate together to mobilize Marches for Life all over and to make a stand against abortion, which is a silent holocaust and it's about time we drew people's attention to who's responsible for that back to you andrew thank you so much peter and folks if there are any of these events going on in your country then please do your best to participate in those as well so i want to thank peter so much for joining us again today on a show entitled the real story of abortion on holocaust memorial day Please support Peter's work. His website will be in the post for this show. Thank you all for listening. I'll be back with you all tomorrow, folks. And until then, bye for now.